You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to the brilliant Kerry Godleyman. As well as being an excellent comic actor, you may well know her from Ricky Gervais's sitcom Derek, in which she plays Hannah, who works at the care home. Uh, But she's also been an excellent stand-up for 10 years or more and has appeared on Michael McIntyre's Roadshow as well as Live at the Apollo. If you haven't seen her before, both of those sets are available on YouTube. I will allow you to listen to this interview without pausing it now and going off to watch them. But if you continue, then I insist on your honour as a frog killer that you at least do that afterwards. Here's Kerry Godleyman. You're an observationist, aren't yeah. you? First and foremost. Yes. And in fact, I don't think I'd realised. I've watched a couple of clips on YouTube from the Apollo, from the Roadshow, and uh, they're very, very. Uh, like I came away going, "Oh wow, I didn't realise you were that much of an observationist." That's like the, the no. core of what you do. I didn't know that really either. Okay. I don't quite know what I do. I think that's the interesting thing: is you don't really know what you do, and you don't want to overanalyze it in case it breaks and goes yeah. away. So you just, like I said, I would love to be. As subversive political comedian, I would love that, but I, I'm not. Would you? What What would you... Where, where does that come from? What, what do you mean you'd love to? Because it feels more substantial. It feels more sort of culturally weighty. I think what I do is just sort of fluff. Okay. It's yeah. not deep. Have you ever tried to be deep? Um, as a creative, in, in any form, or just as a stand-up? Uh, well, either. As a, as a stand-up first. Um, n- no, I think... I never set out with... I would never imagine setting out with a view to being deep. I wouldn't know even how to begin. I don't find inspiration works very well like that. Okay. So if I set out and go, right, my objective is to be deep. It's no, just sure. Broad, it's but what, what I mean is that as, it, as your objective only ever been get laughs? Or yeah. have you had... Yeah, really? Oh, that's fine. That's totally... <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not enormously proud of that, but sometimes my punchlines can be so crass they embarrass even me. And I'm like, oh, God, is this really what we're going to do? <laughs> but yes, I think my... Um, I'm always after a laugh. Okay. I want to just spend a bit, little bit more time on that because I think it's interesting that you want to be... I mean, deep is a, a very movable feast of a term, but the fact that you're... Like, are you proud of the fluff that you do? Are you like, this is really good fluff? <laughs> or fluff you know what I mean? What, what, yeah, what, what does that yeah. mean as, as fluff? I think that it's, it's... It doesn't feel like... It's not a highbrow. It's lowbrow art okay and 
I think I can do it and I've got the craft for it and I've got the skill for it and it pays the bills and I don't feel occasionally when I sort of go and see um, something a bit more edgy or especially when you're at Edinburgh you see such a sort of broad range of stuff and I see more experimental stuff and I see that bravery of risk and experimentation but I know that's not me I think one of the skills is playing to your strengths isn't it and I know what my strengths are and what are they I think that I can I I think I'm good at just sort of normalising day-to-day frustrations and I'm being like your mate, your mate down the sure, pub. Sure, I mean, that's kind of a, a, something that's been said a couple of times. Back when I did read reviews more or people occasionally say it to me, they're like, oh, you're just like a mate. And that's not highbrow, but it has a, it has a use or a value in the landscape of comedy. Sure. And are you, do you find that you... Because you have a parallel career, because you've got two careers, really, yeah. as, a, as an actor. They've started to well. marry more now. I think since yes. doing Derek, they've yes, started sure. to slightly align. Yes. Um, but but what I was going to ask was, does, does your does your career as an actor, um, does that allow you to sort of do... I mean, do you tend to do sort of challenging, gutsy sort of... Do you challenge yourself in that way? Yeah. I've done, I've done more serious roles as an actor... But then you, what is serious comedy? Then it's not that funny if it's too serious, is it? Yeah, sure. I suppose rather than kind of serious, I suppose like challenging yourself. Where is the... Do you want to challenge yourself? Do well, you get an outlet? That's a good that? question because you think, well, what is your objective? Is your objective to pay the bills and have a job and just keep your living sure. going? Or is it because you're doing it purely as a creative endeavour and you want to constantly discover new landscapes and areas of your creativity and sod the bills and just live in an annex and live that kind of life or uh, a bit of both and I sometimes think I mean when I started out I thought right I want to be able to play any room you know I want to do art centres and donglers and all that stuff and then I can play donglers and I can sort of um, control uh, for 20 minutes anyway Uh, I can control a bunch of pissed people you know, in a market town or whatever. Mm. But then after doing that for a few years... <laughs> That's a lovely story. A bunch of pissed people in a market town. Yeah, yeah but once you've yeah, done yeah. that for a few years, you're like, this isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. This isn't going anywhere. I'll, it's called a circuit because we're going round and round. And I'll just go round and round and round doing this, if I'm lucky, for the rest of my, inverted commas, career, whatever that means. Sure. So, do you know what I mean? So then you think, right, I've got to go to Edinburgh. I've got to, I've got to challenge myself, like you're saying. So my challenges are doing a longer form, like do Doing an hour. Okay. Not just doing it for 20 minutes. Can I sustain it for an hour? Okay. And then it's forced... In a market town. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. A festival or an art centre or whatever. But... um, And then it feels more of a challenge. And then I think I push myself. But the show I'm doing now that I'm touring isn't... It doesn't have a narrative. It doesn't have a through line. It's got a bit of a point. But it's not like... The meaning of this show is... It's jokes. Okay. Observations, jokes, silly voices, hypotheses, sarcasm. What's the show called? FaceTime. Okay, nice. <laughs> that's nice. That's a nice. Yeah, it's about that. being with people and having a bit of FaceTime for an hour. I don't, it's not. That's my only self-criticism is that it's not maybe that deep. There's that word again, deep. What do you What do you mean by that? That it's that it, like you say, it's fluff. It's insubstantial. It's kind of fleeting. The difference between if you go and see a film, a piece of cinema. And you come away and go, that was an incredible piece of film or whatever. Or you mm. watch Legally Blonde and go, well, that was distracting for an hour and a half. Sure. You know, they, 
they're different, aren't they? But this, uh, yeah, absolutely. But what I'm what I'm interested in is when you sort of say that's my only criticism of it is that it's not deep. If that suggests that on some level you want it to be deep, or yeah. you feel like it could, or you feel like it should. Yeah, maybe I that's mean, a leak. It... Well, I suppose because there are. Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe I have aspirations for it to be more than it is. But I don't do anything about it. Yeah, I should say, as comedians go, you seem very happy at the moment. And I don't want this process to break you. And at the end of the day, you go, oh, God, I'm really No, 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 because I, gave, I suppose, because I knew you were coming and we were going to talk about it. And then maybe that's just a, a habit where you just, rather than sit here and go, I think I'm great, you sit here and self-flagellate and say what you sure. think doesn't work. Quite possibly, yeah. You know, it's just um, a habit of self-reflection isn't it that you'll go down on the negative then come down on the positive but you hear awful if I sat here and went I'm really brilliant <laughs> I'm really good at what I do <coughs> well do some people do say that you know and that's that's tough but I do think I'm good at what I do yeah I think I can do that I can do I can play your I can play the equivalent of making you feel for the duration of while I'm on stage that I'm your mate and that I'm a funny mate and that I'll make you laugh about a couple of day-to-day -day stuff and maybe occasionally I'll even surprise myself and put something in there that might be a swipe at the establishment or a swipe at our accepted norms or our collective paradigms that I find sometimes ridiculous and stupid. So I can sort of drop them in, but I don't stay there. They're, mm -hmm. they're kind of, they're, they're in the mix. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like my comedy is to challenge people that much. Sure. So when you're, again, just coming back to the, the parallel career, are you satisfied with the acting work that you're doing in the same, you sound, like, I don't mean self-satisfied, but you sound satisfied as a comedian that you are doing what you're setting out to do. Um, yes, I think what I set out to do is remain in the game. Like I think I'm sort of, would be lovely if I could just keep doing it yeah. and not stop. I see people stop, don't they? They give up or they get fed up or they get forced out or, you know, if I can keep doing it, because I do love it. I think it's a really lovely thing and I think it's a privilege to be able to keep doing it. So that would be my objective, just keep going. I suppose you do need to stay um, inventive if you want to keep going. You can't just cruise, you can't just phone it in and you can't just do the same gags forever and ever and ever. So it forces you to write. And as, I, as my life changes and as I grow older and stuff like that, my jokes might grow with me, and that hopefully will happen. Acting-wise, that's something completely different. I have no control over that. Mm. I, I go up for auditions, and if I get the job, great. I'll turn up, and they tell me where to stand and what to say, mm. and I'll do my best to... Having, having been an actor myself for a, a paltry three years, after which I sort of went, I'm a fraud, I'll do something else. <laughs> yeah. um, probably that would... I, I wonder if those decisions would have been different if I'd already discovered stand-up at that point and felt like, no, I am who I am. Yeah. But... I found that the difference in the lack of control, I found that. Yeah, I, no. I couldn't stand it's it. It's very frustrating. And that's why I'm very happy to do both. Yeah. Because there are pros and cons of both. Like, stand-up comedy, as you know, is sometimes lonely, and it's you're entirely self-motored, and you sometimes lose that motor, and you're like, you know, you sit there, you could waste a day that you're supposed to be writing, just sort of Googling things and mm -hmm. going for a walk and ringing your mates and whatever, not achieving anything. Um... And that's all that. That's you have to deal with that in your own. All these different ways people deal with it. And then, as an actor, you have a different set of problems, which are mostly in my case, but not for everyone. But 
unemployment, which is just a frustration. Mm -hmm. And then when you are employed, you are not in control of anything. People literally pick you up from your house. If you're doing a telly, they'll pick you up, they'll drop you off, they'll put your face on, tell you what to wear, where to stand and what to say. And I'm not saying that that doesn't involve some sort of input on your part, sure. but it's a completely different process. It, just, to, just to stay with the acting for the moment, because I'm fascinated by, you're obviously a very successful comic actor as well. And Do you think that being a comic actor is something different to being an actor? Like, can It shouldn't have to be. It shouldn't have to be, because acting's acting and you're sort of... Yeah, um, do, you, do you get given a script ever and think... I've got to make this funny? Or are you just lucky to get funny scripts? Or are there circumstances where you go, ah, oh, that's supposed to be a joke, I've got to sell that? Mostly I can make it work. You'll have, you'll have been cast because you're right. You'll have okay. gone for an audition and they will have chosen you because whatever you did in the audition was what they want. So they'll, they'll cast you because you're right. But I remember someone saying to me at drama school that there are two types of actors. Um... There are actors that transform themselves for the part, to become the part, and there are those that transform the part to become them. Yes. And I think I'm the latter. Oh, I'd love to have been the latter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I was the former either, but well, I, I wanted think the, former, the Again, it goes back to self-flagellation, because I think the former is a proper actor. Yes. Proper actor who changes their voice and their gait and their, you know, something about they, they transform, you know, sure. like that sort of thing. Like the Daniel Day-Lewis Daniel Day-Lewis, Day yes, yes. yes. So he completely transforms, and that's amazing. And then there are people that you, like Ray Winston, wherever he's in, whatever he's in, he's yeah. Ray Winston. Oh, he's Henry VIII, oh, he's a hitman. You know, it's like he's Ray Winston. So mm. he's brilliant. He's brilliant at being Ray Winston. Yes. He's enormously charismatic. That's much more like being a stand-up, is it? Where you've created a persona or you're, you're revealing exactly a particular that. part of Exactly yourself. that. So I think that as an actor, I often play me. Yes. And as a comic, I am me. I don't hide behind a persona or... It's, it's me. I'm... I mean, of course, you sort of turn the volume up on some bits and down on others. I'm not that relentlessly <laughs> vocal in real life all the time. But, um, and the same with acting. I think I just, I'll make, oh, this nurse, I'll make her a bit like Kerry. And all oh, this WPC, I'll make her a bit like Kerry. And all oh, this care home manager, I'll make her a bit like her. I just, you know, you, you, I play me in a variety of outfits. And you were saying that's particularly, at the moment, you feel like your, your careers are closer than they've ever been. Well, that's partly because of Derek. That's because yeah. of being in a, a sitcom. That's, yes. Um, like, that's, that's a, a thing that you can have on, a, on, a, on your poster for your yes. comedy show. Yes. You can have so-and-so from Derek, you know, that thing that you well, like I said, to do. Like actually, though, even my part in Derek isn't hugely comedic. It's not like a comedy-comedy role. It's quite a serious role. But I suppose because of the... Gervais connection or whatever then mm. it's like the land of comedy and then you can use it on a poster or mm. you can use it as a kind of up in the comedy world mm. despite my part not being that comedic you are leading a charmed life it would appear it's been in... good for the last year or two okay but I, there was a lot of not charmed before like a lot what? of well lots of unemployment not you know all the struggles that did you not were you not able to do stand-up gigs when you were unemployed though because that uh, seems to me like that's one of the things i i aimed for originally with me it was street performing and and acting i was like great i'll do street shows when i've not got an acting gig and it seemed to yeah. that's like hey that really works yeah that's true actually i i have always managed to sort of do a bit of both the, well the gigs don't pay for a good couple of years at the top do they they, they, they take ages no, true. to start paying true and then even when they do start paying it takes a little while for it to get solid 
But I never had a day job to give up, whereas a lot of people, obviously, they feel like there's a point in their income when they go, right, now I can officially ring my boss and tell him to stick his job up. Sure, yeah, same. So I never had that because I was always self-employed and my parents were self-employed, so I've always lived in a world of self-employment. So I've never been enormously phobic about just sort of scratching a living in lots of different ways. Like, you know, for a long time I'd do bits of those forum theatre jobs and then... And then in the end, I could afford to stop doing them and because I was earning a bit more out of stand-up. And then I got a voiceover agent and started doing a bit more voiceover. And then, you know, some years I wouldn't act at all. I wouldn't get any acting work. And then I'd maybe get a, a little part on a on Miranda, say, or like that one scene on Miranda or one scene on mm. White Van Man or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It, was, it always feels piecemeal. It always feels like no week is ever like another week in my diary. So sometimes I'm gigging more than others. There's usually gigs in, there's always sort of gigs in, but lately there's a little bit less of them. But now I'm touring, that's another new, mm. a new way of working. Just last, last thing on acting then, before we get back to the stand-up stuff, how do you deal with the rejection of, of being an actor? Do you... It's horrible. <laughs> rejection in any context is shit. Because I mean, I thought I'd be fine with rejection, no, but I think I'm under the weight of it all, I went, oh, I just can't be very good then. No, that's all. I mean. You can't reach that. It's just a numbers game. Again, it's a numbers game. That's, there's a lot of actors and not that many jobs. Same as there's a lot of stand-ups and not that many gigs. You've just got to kind of keep going and keep busy and stay present. And in the end, someone will give you a job. <laughs> <laughs> someone will give you a job in the end. Just stick with it. But if you kind of, I mean, rejection's horrible and it hurts, but it passes. Like having a bad gig. You well, feel let's, awful, don't let's, you? let's talk then about the early, uh, the early gigs. So post City Lit, did you come out of that and immediately start no, booking yourself? No, I did it with a mate and he went straight on the open mic circuit and I didn't. Who was that? Um, a guy called Michal, Michal O'Connell. Okay, I don't know. Um, he, I tell you who did Michael's, Mike Belgrove, he was on Michael. Oh yeah. So him and Mike and a few of the rest of them, they, they carried on and doing gigs. And I used to go and see them now and then. And, and I probably was too scared. And then when I started was, was going, that it? Was it fear, or did you yeah, sort of feel like, fear. oh, I've I've sated the desire to see what no, it's it like? Fear. It was, it was just fear. fear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, I'd go to a few open mic gigs and think, I think I might be better than this. Like, <laughs> I, <I'd> think, <laughs> That's an essential part of the yeah. training, isn't it? Yeah. Always yeah. about where you think you might fall. Like, was it? Uh, would it potentially be utterly humiliating, or do you think like, can I claw some dignity out of this? Mm. So I um, went to see a few and thought I could definitely do that. I could, five minutes I could probably get away with it and then I started booking gigs in I remember doing one of my first ever gigs at Pear Shape do you remember Pear Shape mm-hmm. with Roisin mm-hmm. yeah. and we were both really nervous because it was although I'd done that one at City Lit I'd never done a proper gig so that was my first gig gig and then I just started doing more of it and just did loads of things like Laughing Horse and I just started filling my diary because everybody that was above where you get advice, people go, you've just got a gig, 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 yeah. gig, 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 yeah, just yeah, do yeah. as much as you can, as much stage time as you can, and in the end, you will get better. Or you won't, and then you stop, and then you'll know for sure that you had, you, you had a good crack at it. So that's what I thought. I just thought, I'll really throw myself at this. And as I said to you earlier, I wasn't in a relationship then, and I kind of I had a car. I remember ringing Jeff Whiting and saying, you know, can I have some gigs? Female comic with a driver's licence yeah, right, get your diary. And mm-hmm. we just booked in a ton of mirth control. Mm-hmm. Because at that time, being a female comic, I didn't find it a disadvantage. I found it a sort of bit of an advantage. So positive discrimination meant that I got probably more gigs than some of my male counterparts. And, uh, and I just gigged a lot. So when you were 
doing those gigs, what was your writing process? Were you sitting and writing? No, I've never sat you... and written. Really? Not Great. really. I do when I'm on a show, when I've got Edinburgh or this show I'm doing now, um, and I've written with other people a little bit as well, uh, but I never just sit and write. Like, okay. Okay. Keyboard. What do you do? Do you pace around? Do you make notes? Do you just wing it on I, the night? I don't know what my process is because I knew this might come up and I thought, oh, come on, Kerry, what is your process? <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to have one. I don't Not know having what a process could be a process. No, yeah, I don't know what it is. I will, it'll, it'll be scribbling notes down on things you've heard or overheard or conversations you've had and bits of it. You say, oh, there might be a bit of stand-up in there or a joke or an observation that might work. And then scribbling it down. And then when I have it in a notebook, I then transpose it onto a Word document and type it out. And then, I don't know. I don't know. And then occasionally do new material nights and try it out. And some of them work, most of them don't. Trial and error, trial and error, that sort of thing. Slipping it in an established set in a club, just thinking, I'll just do this new bit. Oh, no, leave it. Forget yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So pull the... back, pull back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all those things. Um, I don't know what my process is. I've never felt very disciplined. Okay. And I'm yet, not disciplined or deep. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, so when you're writing for a show, is that, sorry, the process you've just described, is the that... The process recently was more disciplined because when you're writing for a show, you have to sort of get it together, don't you? What was the, what was the timing of that? You book the tour and then write the show or what? I did some um, new material, like works in progress at Soho Theatre. My agent put them in. I think because he knew I was really scared and he's been yes. saying, you should tour, you should tour... And lots of other promoters have said, you should tour, you should tour. And other comics are going, well, you should tour, you should tour. So other people are like saying, why are you still doing the clubs, Kerry? You should go and do a tour. And I kind of, I have been doing it 12 years. And because of Derek, I kind of maybe would sell a few more tickets. Yes. So I thought maybe it is the time to try that. But my kids are quite young and I've always been a bit scared of going on away for that length of time. But then it became kind of like, well, if I don't tour, then I feel like I'm going to stunt my own development. So I yeah. should tour. And then, uh, so he booked me in to do some new work in progress, they're called, aren't they? Mm. Work in progress shows at Soho Theatre. Okay. And then when you've got those in the diary, you just have to step up, don't you? And did, you get, did you get an audience for them? Did you get uh, A bit of an audience, a bit of rent a crowd, that sort of sure. thing. Sure. But I wrote a bit of stuff with other people, like Stephen Grant um, gave me uh, some help. But he, he writes with you. I find Yes, well, thing. I've had Stephen on the show, he's described that yeah. process of... You know, rather, it's not delivering a page of jokes, is it? Yeah. It's sitting with you and trying to help. But I've through. done that in a non-paid capacity with other comics for years. I yes. think that we all have. You know, if you yeah. do a preview and then someone will give you a topper or a bit of a thing and go, oh, you need to move the order of that because the sure. meaning isn't quite that, That's funny, that that's something that people ask about quite a lot. Maybe let's just spend a minute on writing with comics because I find everyone has their own... Like, there were two comics that were in Bristol and I said, friends of mine, and I said... Uh, well, you want to come in and do some writing before that gig? Get here early. I was around my yeah. girlfriends in Bristol. And uh, and one of them said, right, okay, how should we do this? And I said, right, do you want to start? And the third one went, oh, when you said with, I was just going to put my headphones in and write next oh, to. Do you know what I mean? Because everyone's got wildly different ideas yeah. of what it means to write with people. I like writing with people. Because mm. I do think I'm more of a collaborative, creative person. Like, that might go back to the acting. I find stand-up and it's, you know, solitary nature... Lonely. I just yes. I do lonely. I don't like I don't like creating in that way. I think I think the quality of stuff is always a bit more fun when you work with other people and people sometimes pull things out that you can't immediately see. I used to like improv and stuff like that. Mm. I like those kind of games and I think you can achieve 
Ah, bloody improvisers and their total confidence well, hate... because there's always something there. Yeah, but I hate all those <laughs> yeah. uh, theatre sports. I remember doing an audition once okay. and it was like, hey, what is it? A brick, a phone, what is it? A high five. And I just hate that. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't bear that type of theatre sports stuff. But I mean, as just stand up sometimes it, for me is banter. It's containing the nature of banter. When you're with your mates and it's funny, you're making each other laugh. If you can harness that and put it in a one you know monologue form that's mm. stand up mm. so to create that alone is really hard it's crazy isn't it yeah. yeah so I create it better with someone else your turn my turn your turn my turn it's word tennis so I feel like you achieve more than I can alone So this is Kerry. Uh, I think I suggest later on that this uh, episode should be called How to Be Happy as a Stand-Up, and I'm only half joking. I think Kerry's really got her head screwed on, and she's managing to navigate some of the difficult choices to be made in this industry in such a way as to ensure that she stays happy. Artists and entertainers alike do take note. Uh, I've got a couple of your emails now. I love this bananas email from Jane in Saudi. She begins... Hi, I live in a walled compound in Saudi. I walk round and round the compound like a prisoner in a yard. Uh, she does go on to say that that isn't as bad as it sounds. Um, but she concludes, thank you for the podcast. It's funny how so many of the interviews make me really like people I would never have liked before. Also, I've got a new contempt for others. Thank you, Jane. That's what we're after. Um, I hope, I'm sure what she means there is that uh, rather than having contempt for people I've had on the show, she means that the stuff she's learned about comedy from my guests has changed her attitude towards lazy comedians uh, such as would never darken my doors. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> Another email here from Raymond Francis. Uh, I've introduced your podcast to many of my friends and work colleagues, and they're also hooked. We all love the fact that it's not the same old shit interviews you hear on so many other podcasts and how you really get into the meat of how these comics get their ideas. Raymond, you're too kind. <laughs> I certainly can't speculate as to whether all other podcasts are a load of old shit, but what I can do is give you the airtime to say so yourself. So thanks. Thanks to everyone for your donations as well. They make such a difference. I'm pleased to say we've nearly cracked the Edinburgh debt from last year. So if you would like to donate as well via PayPal, you can get on your high horse and trot along to comedianscomedian.com with your head held high. And remember, if you're not able to donate, you can also hold your head up high. That's the system. Gratitude for the people who do donate. Equal gratitude for the people who simply listen and don't donate. That means we all have a happy life. Um, you can still tweet your ComCom drinking game rules to me as well. I'm compiling those in the background uh, to be released at some point. Um, and finally, um, I remember one extra little thing, a little Twitter game for you. This is based on the fact that I always wanted Kerry Godleyman to do an Edinburgh show called Clenly uh, Clenlyman is Next to Godleyman. Uh, for reasons that will be obvious if you're an idiot. And indeed, Matthew Crosby, years ago, uh, told me that I should call my best of hour in years to come Solid Goldsmith. So here's the question. What show titles have you considered in the past but could never bring yourself to do? And I'd love some real answers to that. Obviously, you can all just make up a load of puns, but I'd be fascinated to know what you've actually considered and then decided against. That's for the performers, of course, the Hack for Cash gang. And if you are funny for no money, that is not a performer. The question is this. If you were a stand-up, what would you call your greatest hits show? Doesn't need to be a pun on your name, though it can be. Uh, I'd just like to know if you've got a show title burning a hole in your cerebral cortex. It's the... Uh, it's just the sort of the same way that most people have got a novel in them or an idea for a novel. It's sort of also about a sort of disastrous title for an autobiography that my sister once mooted when she was about 13 that I've never forgotten. Tweet those to at ComComPod using the hashtag all show no business. 
God damn it, that's a good hashtag, isn't it? I wish I called my show that now. God's sake. Anyway, let's get back to the... Oh, no, just just before we do, final little thing. Just This is uh, just off the top of my head tonight. Um, I've just finished watching two documentaries, both of which I recommend uh, if you're interested in the creative process, as I know you are. Um, one of them is Jiro Dreams of Sushi, which is about an 85-year-old guy who has... Uh, he's a guy, he's an incredible sushi grandmaster, my friend Will described him as. Um, he's got three Michelin stars for his uh, sushi restaurant in Tokyo, which only has ten seats. Uh, and it's this man has literally devoted his life to pressing fish against rice. And it's uh, a really great documentary. I rec- very recommend that. Very much recommend that. And in, uh, in stark contrast to that, I then watched Indie Game, the movie, which I highly recommend. That's about weird little weaselly hairy men living in their parents' attics for three or four years and then creating something fantastic and it's about all the trials and tribulations that you go through when you're part of that process when you're creating something and not getting feedback on it and you've kind of suborned all of your life's goals and you've uh, you've just made everything you've taken everything in your life and twisted it in order to make something that you want to make so I really recommend both of those totally different uh, takes on the creative process uh, so see both of them that's the end of that bit Let's get back to the brilliant Kerry Godleyman. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Let's look at that then. So when you say word tennis, what do you mean? Are you Like when I've written with people in the past, I'll go, right, here's a bit I'm thinking about doing or here's a bit I've done and I'm thinking about a tag on it. Yeah. And we'll spend 15 minutes on that and then 15 minutes on their bit. Is yeah. it, do you do something similar or what, um, what's the I, No, well, the way I did it with Stephen and I've done it with Zoe as well, Zoe Lyons, and I have sort of sometimes written together and Jen Brister who was supporting me, she's mm. been really helpful and I've done stuff with her. It usually helps if you do it with people that you kind of click with. It's no good doing it with someone you just don't have that fizz with it's playing isn't it it's getting into a playing zone and allowing each other to make you 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 have to see if you can make each other laugh then you top it and see and are you coming in with with starting points or are you just going well those notes i'll have scribbled down i'll have uh, we'll both say right this is the thing you read it literally as you've written it Mm. and then see if you can sort of cobble it into Mm -hmm. what might resemble a stand-up routine but i mean also when it's other people that are stand-ups as well like jen and zoe and steven Mm then you can hear their voice. They'll Because I think Zoe and Stephen and Jen have got very distinctive stage personas, and I yes. suppose I've got fairly distinctive stage personas. So what you'll do is try and sort of force, you know, if, if Zoe's working on a piece, and I'll go, I'll sort of try and Kerry Godlemanise it. And it's yes. like, well, that's no good, because that's not how Zoe, that's sure. not her 
Stage yeah, that's very different. I've, I've often, it's very difficult, sorry. I've often found that very hard. I think one of the best things I ever, best concepts I ever heard about, like directing for anything, for yeah. theatre, for, for, you know, being an outside eye for someone, is it's phenomenally, and I may have said this on the show before, it's phenomenally difficult to help them be themselves, yeah. but more so. Yeah. And it's very easy to tell them what you want to see. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. then you're directing an actor. If you're yeah. telling them what to say and where to stand and yeah. how to emphasise it, that's acting, that's directing acting. So I think the essence of stand-up is to try and get people to be as authentic as they yes. can, which sounds like a contradiction. I just said I write with other people. And I suppose that does go back to that slight embarrassment. I think recently there's been quite a lot of conversations about authorship and people, you know, it negating the quality of the purism of stand-up yes, if you work sure. with other people. And there can be a lot of sort of, you know, dispute about that. And I think sometimes there's a lot of snobbery in comedy and people can be a bit, you know, dismissive of other people's processes. Yes. And that is, you know, upsetting sometimes when your process is the one that's being slammed. But I do think that if your objective is to be as playful and, as, and once you get into that state of play and you get into that zone, stuff comes out... And if you get that stuff out through collaboration, who cares? So be it. That's how you're working. Can you give us an example of some a bit of yours that has that you can feel like whenever you do it, you remember the influence of someone else on it, or like um, a tag that someone else gave you, or a yeah. I remember doing a gig in Leeds at Jonglers in Leeds or Highlight in Leeds, and I had that bit that I did at Apollo with the fast talking ad bit. Yes. And Andre Vincent gave me a topper at the end. He said you should do the callback. Yes. You've got at a the end of the routine. Yeah. 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 And he was like, I never saw it before. And Andre just said it really casually, like, oh, you should do that callback. Yeah. And it just completed the piece and da-da-da. Things like that happen. I don't know if you find that, but when you're doing a club or a weekend away, comics will casually just go, oh, you've got an easy callback there. Yes, yes, And then you yes. put it in and it's like, oh, brilliant. And I didn't see it. And is any part and of you thinking... And then it disputes my authorship. I've... Yeah, there, does it? There we go. That's <laughs> yeah. the question. Does yes. it? Or are you fine? I don't know. Got a good laugh, though. Who cares? Got a bloody good laugh. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm not... Uh, Stanley Kubrick, I'm not, you know, I'm not like a, an auteur, I'm a clown. And my objective is to make a bunch of people laugh. You know, it's not like, it's not, going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's not high art. I don't think this is high art and I can't, I can't, you know, dilute my authorship on this. It's like, I'm, t- I'm telling knob gags and Andre Vincent gave me a topper. I mean, it's like, really, <laughs> I, you know, a couple of centuries ago, I'd have had bells on my shoes. Who cares? Really? I don't know if that's me being needlessly dismissive of it, but I just, one thing I do get surprised by is how condemning sometimes people can be of other people's processes or things like that. I think, oh, that's interesting. Why is there so much snobbery sometimes about okay. it? Um, and both ways, cutting both ways. I remember once doing a jongler's gig and being, not having a good time and it being a tough one and being really angry about it or pissed off or upset or hurt. I mean, all these other versions of hurt. <laughs> and, um, I remember Phil Nichols saying, don't be a snob, because I was being a bit down on the crowd, like the fucking idiot, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, don't be a snob about your audience. You know, like, Mm. these are things to sort of bear in mind. And I don't want to seem as if I'm being needlessly glib about... No, at all. You know, that, like, oh, well, that... Like I'm saying, like being dismissive and saying, oh, I'm just a clown or it's not deep or I don't have a process or whatever. Sure. But it does seem like there's not a lot of angst in your process. There is angst in it, but I try and... Um, just not beat myself up too much. Okay. You know, not to kind of... How do you do that? I don't know how I do that, Stuart. How do I do that? I've got kids, so I just can't be that self-indulgent. I but just... it sounds like you always did that, pre-kids. 
I've had my, you know, howling at the moon moments where, and I've had a lot of tears and heartbreaking stuff that we all have it, you know, and I've had some tough Edinburgh's where I felt like, why am I here? I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my time. I've had bad gigs where I've driven back in tears and thought, this is just pointless. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm trying to achieve and other people are better and all those things that are just sort of, I just think of them as part of the dance of it. I don't, they, they're not, it's not going to be perfect because you've chosen a slightly imperfect profession. So I kind of just wait for it to pass. And I have a really supportive partner, which is a massive help. And I've got mates that do it as well. So I'll talk it out with some other comics. You know, you, we all kind of help each other through it, don't we? And then I kind of put it in perspective and realise that, bloody hell, I'm not digging up the roads for a living, am I? I mean, I am, <laughs> I am just doing a lovely job, a lovely job, and I'm lucky to be able to do it. It's all just sort of balancing and perspective. But one of the things I did was going to talk about, I don't know if it comes up naturally, is states, playing states. Like in, mm-hmm. um, like emotional, like working yourself up to an emotional state because mm-hmm. some comedy juice can come out. Like, I suppose ranting is the more commonly known way of doing it. Oh, like the rant and rave exercise? Yeah. Like, is, this, is this on stage, you mean, or pre-stage? Yes, I can right. sometimes go, well, there's something there. There's something in that thought or inspiration of a joke, the beginnings of a joke. If I work myself into a state, which maybe is a slight acting exercise, if I get myself into that state emotionally, stuff comes out and then there might be material there. So in okay. playing bewilderment or incredulous or... What's that? You know that getting to pitch, you can then create material. That's interesting. Okay, I've heard of that as I've heard of that as a sort of an exercise. Yes, I never do it as an exercise. I mean, there's nothing more. But I never, I never talk out loud alone because I feel like a mad person and I hate that. I can't imagine walking. I tried it early on, but it just was too awful. So it's better to work it out on stage because something happens, which has been referred to a couple of times in these, that mm. when you're on stage, a, a, a lobe opens and something happens, <laughs> and you can't contrive that alone in your living room. Mm. All that happens is you just feel like a dick. So you have to do it on stage. And then you can sort of have the seminal little moment and see what happens if you commit to jumping or whatever. But you have a loose... In acting, you, you play objectives. Do you know like about objectives? I know a little bit, but just to tell us... Okay, well, about there's, I think it's a Stanislavski thing where you play an objective. So if, if in the context of this conversation now, I was trying to impress you mm. or... Let's take that for granted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like you're always trying to do something to your... Um, yes. Your, we're trying to do something to each other. If you're on... Uh, if I'm acting a scene with someone what am I what effect am I trying to have on that other person that you know and you play an objective whether that's to cajole them or to seduce them or to impress them or to um distract them or there's there's verbs transitive verbs and verbs and stuff like that like the exercises that you can do to just experiment with different strategies and techniques of having an effect on your Mm. um colleague or opponent or whatever the word is so uh Sometimes thinking about that in comedy is helpful, even though you're not on stage with anybody else, but you are creating an effect from your audience. You're having a relationship or a dialogue with your audience, even though they're not speaking. Um, so you can... Can you give us an example of that in material, in something that's... Well, a bewilderment would be, a you know, mm. like a shared bewilderment, which is if you're pissed off about a thing and you're like, I suppose, you know, in a sort of clunky way, it's the, what's that all about, you know, kind of sure. thing. But taking what's that all about... Uh, up, turning it up, 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 keep going, keep going, and until you what reach, the fuck in, is yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You reach incredulity, and you're like, oh man, you get to a, you allow yourself to get into a state, so until you elicit the last, 
Okay. From and is audience. this is that something that you do? Is that a game that you play only at new material nights or open spots, or is that something that you can you can slip in between two good bits? Yeah. Good? Yes. I think sometimes if the writing isn't where you want it to be, and also I don't know because other people like write it out verbatim and learn it verbatim, like word for word. Mm. I don't do that. I kind of work more loosely in bullet points, and then with a combination of the bullet points and an acquired state that I'd like to reach, I can push it through mm. and then listen back and see what worked and then some bits work and some bits don't but I was thinking it when I was listening to one of these with Nick Helm mm. and him he, he gets in a state doesn't he it's getting into an emotional state and sort of thinking yeah that's a a thing isn't it that you kind of working emoting emoting allowing yourself to emote in a mm. contrived context to get laughs do you think you're there's pers- nothing funnier than people being cross or angry or apoplectic it's hilarious. So if you can let you all do it for your audience, you're like, I'll get in a state yeah. so that you don't have to. <laughs> yes, yes, okay. And you, do you feel that you're manufacturing that? That's something that's come up before. Well, I'm yes, but what I mean is, is it something, can you pick a thing and decide to be annoyed by no, it? No, 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 no. It has to come from a true feeling. Yeah, it has to be a, the, the little kernel of truth, the spark of rage or bewilderment or frustration or sadness or whatever it has to be true and then you billow it up to create mm. some material on on the subject of um of uh, the requirements you know things that have to be true what have you can you think of a bit of material just in the writing of your of your last tour or or generally whenever you've written is there a thing that you've tried to make work and then had to drop oh god all the time i, I mean that's like... as frequent as it being successful okay at the, at the moment, I'll tell you why I'm asking this. At the moment, I am writing an hour for Edinburgh. Yeah. And there's a bit in it that I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be this year's lesbian stag do. Two years ago, <laughs> I had a routine about going on a lesbian stag or hendy. They got it hanging. Yeah, yeah. Hacked and I was in love with the routine and I really wanted to do it. I thought it was a funny, interesting thing. And the amount of working, of writing hours I spent trying to get. And it that just what? Never worked. Work. Well, it did. It went in the show in the end, but it like. It, it was never as good in the show as it was capable of being in your on, head. on no, 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 <laughs> in, in certain gigs. Do you know what I mean? It was one of those ones that uh, would just it would do fairly well, yeah. and once in a blue moon, it would go absolutely massive. And, and I go, yes, that's what I want, and I couldn't capture that. I couldn't grab onto it. So, arguably, looking back at it, I'm not. I mean, it, it, it sort of worked to a level, and like, but again, brings back to what we were talking about right at the top when you say <coughs> you never set out with the intention of being. Yes. Couldn't you have just said? If you're being objective about your stand-up, your persona, and your material, or whatever, can you just say, "Well, tough. That audience will have to go through this because I want to do it. I want." I think that's what I ended up saying. Right. Yeah. But but my point is that like I'm working on a thing at the moment where I feel like I've got uh, I've got the option at the moment because it's March to go. I'm I'm just going to bid this and move on. Right. Because I can't get this to where I want it to be. How long would you give it before you drop it? Well, I'm at the moment, I'm giving it a while. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give it till June. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you know, you could drop it on August the 1st if you're already yeah. previous. Yeah, that's something I've never been great at, that kind of fluid sort of drop it, keep it, mix it, shake it. I just, I mean, once it's in and it works, it's in and it probably will stay in for five years. I'm not great at just dropping stuff. But I, um, yeah, that's, I think sometimes how long do you allow something to not be good enough before you go, this is just not good enough, it's got to go. Or you go, it is good, they're wrong. How do you decide? Yes. That's interesting. What do you, which do you say to yourself most I go often? with the laughs. I go with the laughs. I'm a, I, you say that more often than saying this is good, but they're wrong. 
I never go there wrong. I'll give it a fair. Okay. I'll give it a fair few goes, and if it doesn't get any laughs, I'm not doing my job. I'm. A, I'm. It's not. I'm not in a play, a one-woman play about a woman cracking up and being pissed off about washing machines. <laughs> <laughs> my, my job is to make people laugh. If they're not laughing, I'm not doing it. And I know that you have to give everything a bit of a fair crack. You have to say, all right, you've got to do it at least what do you think, three, four, five times before you drop it. But I think beyond that, if it isn't working. It's possibly shit. So it's got to go. Great. Um, I feel like, I feel like the, the subtitle of this episode should be Kerry Godleyman or How to Be Happy. Because I feel <laughs> really? like this, That's yeah, interesting. See, yeah. I didn't... Do you it's not... not about how to be happy. It's just about not tearing your heart out. There's a cliche, isn't there, about artists. Some of this might have come from the artist way. The, 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 the angst of an artist, you know, ripping your heart out in an a- annex, howling at the moon, waving your fist because the world doesn't understand you. I don't want to live like that. I want to be happy and my job is to make people laugh. I mean, it's, in a sense, it's a joyful thing. It's supposed to be a joyful, happy thing. So I kind of try and keep it happy and joyful. If it starts being too heartbreaky, it's, it's got to go. So you would, you would describe yourself as a, an entertainer, not an artist? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think... There's a thing, I think, I do, I do truly think about acting, that it's a craft and not an art. Okay, okay. And maybe I think that a little bit about stand-up, but of course I know that some stand-up elevates to a form of art. I mean, I've seen brilliant stand-up. I've seen stand-up that's not just made me laugh. It's made me rethink everything and made me want to be a better person. What sort of acts are we talking about? What Kitson or people like that. I've seen, you know, that kind of level of stand-up at the moment, Louis C.K. That, once things can get to that level... You're like, then it's definitely art, you know. And I would love to be that good. Of course I would, and we all would love to be that good. And sometimes you just have to accept that you're not going to be that good. But you don't give up. You don't go, well, I'm never going to make it, so I might as well pack it in. You know, that's just defeatist and silly. And also, I've come too far. I've got no other means of earning a living. I can't <laughs> suddenly just stop being a comic. Yeah. It's, you know, this is something I said on the show a couple of uh, episodes ago, was that I've, I've come, or a while ago, I've kind of, I wrestled with that for a long time. I've never read The Artist Way. I, yeah. A couple of people mentioned it and I should get onto it. But um, I, uh, I, I, the, the realisation I came to was, oh no, I'm a bad artist. That's fine. <laughs> That's okay. Fine to be a bad artist. I think it's fine to be a bad artist and aim for mediocrity and not aim for um, genius. <laughs> then it's I, achievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, it's like I'm, not, I'm, not, um, I'm not denying that I'm an artist. I'm not saying... I don't want to be an artist anymore. I do want to be an artist. I'm just not brilliant at it. Yeah. So I can be a bad artist. Yeah, a capable craftsman. Yeah. That's okay. You know, because all those kind of... Sometimes the music is a nice parallel, isn't it? Like, I don't think all those punk bands in the 70s were aspiring to be great artists, but they were bloody good, you know, punk bands. You'd jump around to them and have a great time and they'd move you viscerally. I wasn't thinking about them cerebrally, but I'm, I'm moved viscerally and I think that's okay. That's good enough. And do you think, so what, what's the, just to continue that analogy, for your comedy then, if you're not wanting people to be moved by your comedy, is the equivalent of the visceral reaction a laugh? Like you yeah, want them to laugh it's cathartic to laugh, it's enough. a release, it's a release hatch, isn't it? People laughing, if you're, like, if people <laughs> I think are you working... you release valve, but I'll accept hatch. hatch. <laughs> a release hatch. What's a hatch? Well, you mean like what a what, in a submarine or something, so you open it up and you, re- you escape from the... Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Normally, I think people call it a safety valve, but I'm going with release oh, hatch. Oh, see. Oh, God, malapropping. There's this comedy in malapropping getting worse from it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a relief. It's a relief. Valve hatch. It's just, <laughs> it's a, it's just saying, go, working on me. <laughs> 
And then going out on the weekend, I mean, I don't know, maybe again, I'm just being sort of, maybe I'm reluctant to make it seem weighty or self-important because that level of self-importance I'm slightly repelled by. When I hear... When you see it in other actors. Yeah, or when I hear it, see it in reality star, you know, daytime TV stars, you're like, my career, my portfolio, you're like, oh, come on. I'm so repulsed by that self-importance that I just don't want to do it myself. I don't want to be a hypocrite and go down that road. Why does it turn you off so much? Because I just think it's so sort of, it's not a useful job. If I, if I had a job where I was saving lives or doing something weighty and worthy or whatever, then fine, you know, have some self-importance. Not, I just, it's a, it's a friv- frivolity, isn't it? It's a frivolous profession. Just being an entertainer or being a, 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 a clown in a, in a, you know. I'm not saying we don't need it, we do need it. And I'm not going to suddenly go out and train as a nurse or an old people's home care manager, you know. But I know what I do and I just don't... I'm slightly surprised by how self-important it can all get sometimes. Do you feel... Do you ever feel like it's a selfish job choice because you just get to... You know, you're not doing something maybe. worthwhile. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I think I should do something useful. Isn't that... What's that film with Michael Caine when he... He says to the other character, you, whatever you do, make sure it's useful, be of use, you know. Mm. But then somebody once said to me, it is of use, making people laugh. And there's that brilliant line at the end of one of those Woody Allen films when he says, shouldn't I be doing more serious stuff? And the alien says, no, just tell jokes. <laughs> just tell funny jokes. Yeah. Okay, that's what maybe you're here to do. Just do that. Don't over-egg it. Don't big it up to be something it's not. But you're, you've been given that talent. Just do that. That's good enough. <laughs> you know. Maybe, I don't know. But as I said, I've come too far. I can't just stop now. I've got bills to pay. I mean, the other thing is the, um, uh, is the women in panel games thing or, you yeah. know, being a woman in comedy. Like, I don't mind talking about women in comedy, but it is well discussed. Did Sarah and Sarah talk about it? I only listened to them. Um, a little bit. I've never really kind of banged a drum for it because I don't think that female comedy is a genre. And no, I, I sort of feel like I've got this weird thing where I don't want to add... I don't want to contribute anything to a pointless are women funny debate mm. but then it is as you said earlier on it is a different sort of experience like you said you actually found it you know well, a positive discrimination yeah, yeah. early on I definitely got more work early on because of it without a doubt and what do you I mean what are your thoughts on the on the you know is it a tokenist thing in panel I think games it's I think it? it's unfortunate that it's necessary but it's good that he's done it because it is necessary I think if you're a culture carrier, which you are, if you're a commissioner at BBC, you have to carry culture forward, and he's doing it. And it's a shame that he has to, but he, he has to. Somebody has to. And in the end, it will normalise, won't it? And do you think there's a downside that people will... That if we do get, you know, at least one woman per panel show... Well, that tokenism's not ideal, is it? But I think, generally, the culture of panel shows is quite... There's a lot of machismo, and it can be a bit um, better suited, maybe, to sort of male comics I don't know because there's always versions of the opposite whenever you make a statement about gender (laughs) so I don't know but I think there are there's a possibility there might be a version of a panel show that's better suited to women but it's not as competitive or combative Mm. I personally don't wouldn't want to do them or I don't do them I just find them terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. Like all the things we're talking about is like going towards what you feel comfortable to do. And I've occasionally done tryouts for panel shows and I've been so appalled at how badly I've coped with them that I wouldn't want to... It's the opposite of a collaborative process. Totally the the opposite. Yes. 
It's absolutely the opposite. So you're not going, hey, that thing you just said, let's top it, high five. It's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. It's so, it's so my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. And I just think, oh, run away. Were it not for Derek, if someone, if your agent said to you, in order to tour, you're going to have to do some panel games? Well, they did prior to Derek. I mean, when I had conversations with management in the past, it's like, profile, 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 you know, that sort of slightly repulsive word, profile. And um, if you want to, tour and move on you've got to get your face on telly and all that stuff but I'm really glad that I've been able to do it as an actor and not be a version of myself that I don't want to be on a panel show looking like an elective mute or a rabbit in a headlights just on a panel show with all my bits either edited out for my benefit or not (laughs) (laughs) oh god what's she talking about edit it you know that's that uh, that I just think panel shows are terrifying, really. Mm. As a, but they they're not for everybody, and some people thrive on them and have a really good time, and that's fine. But not me. Radio ones are nice. I wonder if the telly vibe could be more like the radio vibe. Have you done radio? Ones? Yes. Which I, ones have you done? I did debatable on radio, and it was lovely. I don't think I've. It's the one with Sue Perkins. Okay. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because on the radio, they've got women on those shows all the time. They've got women anchoring them. Mm-hmm. You know, Sandy Totsvig and Sue Perkins, and women are on them all the time. So in that world, it's been, it's long since ceased to be an issue. But in Tellyland, it's somehow an issue. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's because there's a. Mm, that's interesting. It's interesting you say that because uh, do you think it's something about the visual? Like there's this sort of long running argument about whether women get kind of rotated out of TV shows when they get too old in inverted commas. Yeah, there is a bit of that. And, but then that because also in radio because I think women sometimes get judged in different ways to men, and how you sound. I don't know. You tell me. But has anyone ever said, "Oh, I don't like the way you sound"? But I have heard people say they don't like the way certain female oh can't stand her voice can't stand her voice yeah, instead of very women rarely do you hear if they're too this men. or too that you know yes. they don't like to hear certain women's voices yes. like when when I because I've got done my radio show on Radio 4 and I've had some nice comments lovely comments but I've also had some oh can't stand her voice like being drilled in the ears yes. you know and it's like oh do men get that yeah, um, I think very, I think less often. I, th- I can think of a couple of men with particularly grating voices <laughs> who might get jib about their voices. Yeah. But it, I think men don't... I don't know. I don't know. I, something I noticed, actually, on your YouTube videos, you have far less hateful comments than I've seen on lots of other women's YouTube videos. I think I've comments. been lucky with all that. I've Why never, do you think that is? I don't know. Maybe going back to that sort of your mate, I'm like, seem like your mate or that you know me. I don't know. I, I've never been... Um, Trolled or whatever it's called. I've never mm. had hate. I've had a, cu- a couple of comments here and there, but I've never felt like I've had all that, those really horrible comments that I know other women get. I know other men get them, but I know other women get them. And then it sort of ends up being misogyny, really, where they're getting attacked for their mm. for being a woman as opposed to their comedy. I've, ne- I've never been the victim of that. Thank God, because I think it would break me. I think it's wretched. It's horrible. And then with regard to actual material, is I suppose... Uh, echoing some of the things Gary was saying about rhythm and brevity like I've never been a long form comic I don't think I do stories I'm not a storyteller and often even if I write something uh, that starts out four or five sentences long often it'll end up being two sentences I think that brevity is something that I like I like the kind of I like language when it gets really economical and you can convey something quickly okay and it becomes like what are those 
tiny, tiny poems. Those Japanese. Haiku. Yeah, I love. I, I like the idea of jokes being like that. They're pure. Yes. Yes. You're not really a one-liner person, but no. then nor are you a big storytelling. No. I'm somewhere yes. in the middle. I try to harness or capture the observation that you're making yes. as economically as you possibly can. I wonder if your is was that a decision? No, but I know it's a kind of enthusiasm. I like. That's mm. what I go towards, like joke, joke, like Woody Allen jokes in films. The the, the jokes that stand out in the mm. in the narrative or the um, in the dialogue, rather the yeah. jokes that you could pick up out of the dialogue and go, "That's a really good joke." It's a lovely way of capturing that human frustration or the human condition. Or are there are there comics you've tried to emulate, like consciously in your whether starting? No, I've had I've. I, I've been inspired by other comics, but I don't try and emulate them because I think going back to what we've talked about already is you do have to be authentic. It has to come in in source. It has to come from you. But there are comics I've seen that are really good and make you think, oh, that's they're great. And they just make you Mm. feel more excited about stand up rather than going, I want to be like them. What I really like is when you when someone nails something so well that, you know, every time you do or experience that thing, you're always going to think of that joke. Yeah, yeah. I love it when people just kind of get it and you're like, oh, that's. That's you know I'm never going to be able to do that thing without thinking of your stupid face. Yeah, <laughs> I really I'm going to enjoy drag it. your face around. Yeah. yeah, there are comics I see that I just think oh, I just love what they do and I love the way they express themselves. But they express themselves true to them. Yes, you know. Yes, were there were there we talked so we mentioned we might talk about um, certain moments. I wanted to ask if there were kind of do you feel that there are specific breaks that you've had or specific kind of moments that spurred you on to the next bit you know if you kind of look back over your career and said it wouldn't have been the same without these yeah they never things. i think the the thing about a break is always that it's never entirely true because there's always 10 of them over 10 years sure you know i mean it's always broken up so but um i getting into the sort of finals of competitions i think you mm. i think it's tougher it, it, if you don't it really, I go back and forth on that all the time yeah. because when I, when I, obviously when you're a new comic, you think, God, they're so important. They're horrible. And then you get a couple of years past and be like, they weren't important at all. No. And then a few years past that, you're like, oh, they really did help yeah, actually yeah, when no, some absolutely. people did that. Yeah. And it's horrible. Nothing's ever as hard again. Like, it's unfortunate that all at the beginning, that's when all the shitty hard mm. stuff happens because mm. we don't compete anymore. No. I, I, I don't. This is such a horrible It's thing. horrible because yeah. you're mates with each other, you value each other, you think each other are quite good, or you think some people are less good and they mm. get through. And, and it makes you think in a way that isn't conducive to, uh, you know. Have you ever been a judge on one? No. No? No, I haven't. Have you? I did, um, I did once in New Zealand and I did, a, I did a semi-final of So You Get Me Funny. Um, and it was I, I felt like such a turncoat I felt really? like what am I, what am I doing I'm not a judge because <laughs> I'm, I'm against the idea but I sort of understand that it can be useful and I I sort of thought well look I'll do one just, just to do it yeah. just because you know you can't you know do the experience and if you hate it you hate it fine what I thought was fascinating was how uh, little argument there was in the room afterwards oh, really? when the judges were conferring. Yeah. Well, so you all agreed. So it's kind well, of okay. Well, pretty certainly, but but on both times, everyone came in and said, "Who is it? Where's this person? Isn't it?" Well, that's like, yeah, fine. fine then. Which so is great, but I imagine there are times when that doesn't happen, and and there it must be just as you would imagine. The arbitrariness of that person just seems to like that person. Yeah, and, not, and then what, it's subjective, and then you oh. just can argue and argue and argue, and that's true. Yeah. 
of all of it, right up to when the big awards at Edinburgh, like the big competition, you yeah. know. That... It's just a bunch of people in a room trying to pick a thing, isn't yeah, it? And yeah, and some people really dig what Flim Flam does and someone else says, no, yeah. I prefer Wawa. And then it's like, oh, well, here we are in the world of subjective opinion. So yeah. that, I mean, competitions are just, they are what they are, but they give you a leg up. And if you can get into a semi-final or a final, you might pick up an agent. And then if you pick up an agent, you're you're off, aren't you? you mm. That's a start and you get more gigs. You know, so that's a break. Like, and I picked up an agent sort of fairly early on. Do you do your own booking? Or I do now. Do I've had own. bookers in the past. But then you get to a level where you're like, I can do this myself. Mm. Especially with smartphones. It's like, I can do that. <laughs> I can do this. I don't need someone to do that and charge me 15% plus that. I can do that. Um, but that takes a while to get, because once you're in with the clubs, you're sort of in, aren't mm. you? The agents mm. get you in in the beginning and you do that for a while and... Things change every couple of years. There's a sort of shift. But yeah, so breaks. And then I did a bit more telly. I did a thing called Spoons on Channel 4 and that was a bit more... Again, it was kind of doing an acting telly job but it wasn't to do with stand-up. But they all kind of, like you said earlier, they ran parallel with each other for mm. quite a while. Mm. Um, and I remember having seminal conversations with certain people. I remember one very, very early on, before I even did stand-up with Ed Byrne. I mean, he won't remember it I've, I've asked him since if he remembers it he doesn't <laughs> but um it was clearly a key moment for me because I've got a terrible memory and I remember this conversation and it was a long time ago up at Edinburgh in the old Gilded Balloon on the Cowgate before it burnt down mm -hmm. and I was with Wendy Wayson yes. me and Wendy did a film together years ago and about a woman that wanted to be a stand-up comic and neither of us were stand-ups at that time no way clearly, <laughs> we both, <laughs> no we clearly way. both really wanted to be yeah but didn't know quite how to do it or whatever and I suppose you do what maybe you hang around comics mm -hmm. and we went and we went to the late and live and I remember getting into a conversation with Ed Byrne ranting at him about why there weren't more women in comedy and he went well then be a woman in comedy if you feel so strongly about it and I did that's I mean, fantastic it, yeah and I and it was a really <laughs> to, to win an argument <laughs> well, but it was a it was a very fair point what's the point of being really angry if you're so passionately emotional on a the subject then there's something there isn't there what's mm. that about why are you so why are you so angry about this it's because I wanted to be one and mm. I didn't know how to be one and there wasn't anyone doing it other than Joe Brand I couldn't see anyone else doing it and he was like well then you do it you do it, you know, if you feel so strongly about it, which you clearly do because you're boring the shit out with me on a stairwell in the old Gilded Balloon. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> are, there, are there any other kind of pieces of advice or, I mean, not that that was a piece of advice specifically, but are there any kind of principles that things people told you that stuck in your mind that you think? Yeah, gig a lot. Just gig a lot. Do it a lot. Like, don't, there's not really a shortcut. I supported Mickey Flanagan on tour a couple of years ago and he um, gave some nice advice and he was just talking about just having a work ethic and sticking with it and keeping it's not not judging your work is a thing isn't it like that, I think maybe that goes back to the artist's way it's not my job to judge it it's just to keep producing it and if it works that's people are laughing or people are employing you and it's going well you know what it feels like when those things aren't happening mm. so you know what it feels like when those things are happening and just what's this is saying isn't it you can affect the quantity not the quality so just keep the quantity up and there will be some of quality among it and that's that's your job to produce, and I, I, you know, I'm sure Mickey gave me some advice similar to that, and and being reassured by people that you admire that you're quite good. You know, yeah. I've had people that I rate, other comics, say to me after gigs, "You're good, you're good, you, you're good." You know, like, and then you go, "Oh, maybe I am," because I think yeah. they're good, and they think I'm good, and they're, it's much more they're not lying because they wouldn't have to say it yeah. if they didn't mean it. It's much more important to your soul, I think, than a good review. Oh, is, uh, God, absolutely. A, a comic you respect laughing at you. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I love that. Or when you're up at Edinburgh and comics you respect come and see your show. Mm. There's nothing more flattering than other... And that's what I do love about the comedy world is that it is actually, I find personally, it quite a supportive mm. community of people, like-minded people. And we're all really different. Like all the comics that you and I know from the British circuit, are all, it's a very diverse bunch of people. But actually I find it a lovely work environment because most people are very supportive of each other. Yes, there's a little bit of... You know, oh, don't know what Doodah's doing, or I really dig what Doodah's doing. But all that goes on in any company, in any work context. Mm. You know, you have a hierarchy of sorts and popularity of sorts, and um, some people move on quicker than others. And it's like, oh, why are they getting, you know, greased to be? And why did they get signed by Curb? Mm. Or why did they mm. get this? Or why did they? You know, we all get into all that professional jealousy. But ultimately, I think it's a really nice spirit, like a kind of people are quite supportive of each other. And that's partly why I was reluctant to talk, because I was like, oh, I'll be lonely. I miss the green rooms. I really yeah, like the green rooms. sure, a lot of people I say like that. I like hanging out with other time. comics. I think yeah. most comedians are nice people. I think it's funny. I think of you and uh, Wendy in particular as mums of the circuit. Really? Yeah, I do. Well, I there do. are many of us, and that does go back to the women thing. It's like, another. there have been times when I've thought about giving up. And, I, and then you think, but a, a good comedy circuit... And like, I, and I, sorry to interrupt. I should also just say there are comics I think of as dads of the circuit. Oh really? Well, Who, are yeah, they? Who are the dads? Well, the people to my mind are uh, George Egg. Oh yes. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's kind of I, I, he's not that much older than me, and I'm not suggesting that he is. I know he'll listen to this, but I do. Do you know what I mean? He cares. Yeah, he cares. And it's lovely. really nice to have people. So I'm, when I say I think of you as the mums of the circuit, yeah. I don't mean to sort of put you in a box. Yeah. I think some people care about other people on the circuit yeah. and they're the people who will ask you how you are rather than how the tell kids you how are great they're or doing tell you how great they're doing how exactly. they yeah. smashed it last Saturday well, exactly. like, did you? that's interesting yeah, yeah. sorry you, <laughs> no you no no saying... I think that's true but also what's interesting is a lot more people I've had kids that I started with we've all become parents Mm. You know, in the last 10 years. So people like Rob Browse, who I did Spoons with. We yes, of course, Rob's when, another one. Yeah. When Rob and I did Spoons together in 2004 or five, we both didn't have children. Mm. And actually everyone that was in Spoons didn't have children except Tom Goodman-Hill, and now we've all got kids. <laughs> well, Simon Farnaby hasn't. But I know that they've all now got children. So it's quite interesting because I've sort of... We've become parents together. I remember someone saying to me that... They were watching a new comic do his new Becoming a Father material. They were both parents. Went, oh, it's lovely when a comedian does his first baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of think, oh, that <coughs> makes me feel so kind of hack for having done my I've just had a baby routine. Yeah. But it's so, that's a good example of when something is so taken over your life, you talk about it on stage. Yes. Because my stage persona is a mirror of my real life, so I talk about it. But no, um, there aren't that many women on the circuit and there aren't that many mums on the circuit and you just think a good circuit should be diverse there should be a representative of hopefully every corner of society so I'll have to do the mum thing but I'm I'm less inclined to talk about the kids so I will talk about the kids but I also want to be able to talk about anything I don't want it to be oh it's the one that does the stuff about being a mum sure I, you know that's a bit limiting so yes it's part of my life but I also want to be able to talk about other stuff as well is that, do you feel it's limiting in a, is there, is there a gender connection to that in the way that like, do I'm just wondering whether, like I'm, I'd be very happy to talk about kids. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm writing a show at the moment about the fact I want kids. I'm yeah, sort of yeah, trying yeah. to get, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to not be hacked by doing the sort of pre thing. Ah, <laughs> but, good. Um, but, uh, um, do you think that there are topics as a woman that you need to avoid for fear oh, of? Oh yeah. 
early yeah. on, God, I mean, you wouldn't have done anything on periods because it was like one of those joke jokes, like, oh, God, it's a woman doing period jokes, so you just mm. wouldn't touch it. You wouldn't go near a joke about anything to do with menstruation because you're like, no, 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 you know, it's a dead Is that joke. still the case? Oh, I don't know. I remember Julia Morris used to have a really good joke about um, having a period, and it was brilliant. <laughs> you're like, there you go, anything's game if it's funny. You can do anything. But I don't know why, but that just became one of those kind of like, you don't, don't talk about that. But I have read mean reviews, like, oh, you know, she's just doing stuff about... Um, her life. Her life. <laughs> yeah, she's doing stuff about having a vagina. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, no, she's not. She's just doing what the blokes do, but she happens to be a woman. But those, you know, those, you just, they're dickheads that say that, you know. But yes, there are certain things that male comics maybe you're allowed to get away with that maybe female comics are less inclined to get away with in terms of topical topic you know, less you less allowed to get away with do you mean less yeah i think so like if a, if a young male comic comes on stage and talks about his sexual exploits or his drug taking sort of adventures or whatever i've heard that many times mm. in various forms over but, the years. but and yet there's not a groundswell of people in newspapers going god it's another bloke talking about his dick exactly yeah. Yeah. exactly there are certain hack subjects for male comics that they don't get that much stick about. That if one woman dares to allude to something generically female-ish, her period, mm. oh, God, mm. she's going to talk about bloody period! <laughs> you know, you think, oh, wow, she only did it briefly for one second. Mm. I don't know, because there's, again... Does that make you angry, though? Um, it has in the past, but less so now, and I've spoken about it a lot with other female comments, because occasionally we'll sort of have a, a little um, coven of rage... And you just talk it out and go, oh, roll your eyes. And there have been changes. I think in the 12 years since I started, there's definitely been a shift. So if you can feel there's some shift, like Bridget winning the award last year was just brilliant. Mm. Sarah Millican wasn't there when we, I mean, Sarah started after me. So back when I started, there wasn't anyone at that time doing as well as Sarah. There was like Joe Brand and Jenny Eclair that had been mm. a long time ago. Mm. There was no one at that time that was just at the top. And Sarah's now smashed the glass ceiling and she's at the top and she's amazing. And her success is an inspiration. Bridget winning that award. So once these things change, that panel thing, the BBC panel mm. thing, it just is slowly, slowly shifting the culture a bit, you know. And in the end, it will be okay. And it's probably, there will come a time when there just won't be an issue. But I, it will be lovely if there was ever a day when male comics were asked, what, what's it like being a male comic? Yeah, right. You know, they don't get asked it. Sure. So... I mean, it's something interesting to talk about, and sometimes you can get a bit whiny. I think sometimes women can get a bit like, yeah, it's really hard being a female comedian. And you think, don't whine. You know, there's, you've, got, you've still got to be funny. You've still got to cut it. I've always found the other women on the comic very supportive of each other. I don't find it... I can remember really early on doing gigs, funny women gigs, or... Um, there used to be one years ago called Lipstick and Shopping that Miranda used to book. Mm. And it was just nice. It was just really lovely and supportive. But then again, going back, that's true of the male comics as well. I've often found male comics. Yeah. Did you, uh, were you up to speed on Facebook with the, uh, uh, the Jenny Collier incident? Yeah, I mean, I found that, that was sort of blown up a bit. I think sometimes you shouldn't give too much... There's a balance, isn't there? That, like, you do need to ex expose mm. um, discrimination. It has to be exposed and talked about and sort of stopped. But at the same time, sometimes you can get a bit of a thrill out of it, can't you? You can be a bit like, oh, God, it's awful, it's awful, it's awful. Come on. Everyone gather around and say how awful it is. And then you just sort of big it up until it sort of ceases to be real anymore. Mm -hmm. 
or, you know, just kind of navigate around the circuit and do the things that work for you and not the things that don't. Like there have been rooms, I have played to rooms where I can feel the misogyny. Mm. I can feel it, you know, I can feel the loathing or whatever. And it's horrible. And you just think, well, I won't go back to that club. I just won't play that club anymore. And then in the end, women will just boycott the bits of the circuit that they don't want to work. And that's, you vote with your feet, don't you? Finally, let's talk about, oh, well, there's, there's two things we can talk about. One is what you want out of your career. Like what's next? What do you want out of the next 10 years? And the other one is you mentioned before, like, oh, you know, can I edit stuff out if I go off at someone? It's all been very positive so far. We can talk. It's sometimes fun as a jumping off point yeah. to talk about what annoys you about the circuit or yes. what annoys you about other comedians. Let's do a minute on that and see how we go. Without me naming. Without you. Well, you know, you can name names and I'll bleep them. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> I do feel like I should have, there should be like, there should be five minutes on each show of just comedy amnesty yeah. where you go off and I'll bleep out all the names. But yeah, yeah, I think yeah, the problem yeah, no. is a lot of the behaviours are so well-worn to type that uh, people would be able to identify them anyway. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you can tell usually who people are referring to. Because you have archetypes in comedy, don't you? Sure. We have, we have our Pope and we have our leaders. <laughs> you know, we, all know, we all know who our high priests are in comedy. And it's like we all have to sort of, you know, respect their gravitas and their weight. And sometimes that gets on my nerves. Okay. Specifically what? That, that some people are so... No, 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 that's fine. You haven't, you haven't I think there are some people that are very high status, that are very like that kind of create turn themselves into a patriarch or matriarch of the circuit. Yeah, and, so this is my... and I don't know who appointed them. Yeah, but um, and they are very liberal with their criticism of other people and mm. naming them and in their act naming them. And you sometimes think, don't do that. This is hard enough on everyone. Don't mm. don't start slagging off other people in your routine. Mm. One of the easiest things to do is criticise. It's easy, isn't it? Criticising. It's a piece of piss. That's, that's one of my frustrations, is that sometimes there is a kind of hierarchy. That people, people get into different sort of frustrations, don't they? Like they'll condemn the Oxbridge crowd or whatever. But yes. that is, that's, you're on thin ice there because that's not just about class. Mm. Because there'll be examples of someone like Josie Long or whatever that she, she'll, you will be contradicted. The class mm. and her Oxford degree seem to mm. contradict each other. So you're like, wow, it can't be just about class. Mm-hmm. It can't be just all oh, the posh kids are in and the poor kids are out. You know, those, some of those things are true. Sometimes they're not. It can't just be about gender. It sometimes I feel like there's an Edinburgh um, cult, you know, and people can be big cheeses up at Edinburgh and then the rest of the year they're sort of not, not as big. They're, not, mm, they're, not, they're nowhere near as big. That's interesting, yeah. And then there are people that are big cheeses on the circuit, but they don't do Edinburgh, mm. you know, and it's like... And that might be because either they can't afford to or they just can't justify it or they've got family commitments or whatever. And there are lots of reasons why people don't do Edinburgh. Mm. A lot of it's money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes they can't see the point. they like, I just don't see the point unless it's to just... I always think with Edinburgh, there's two reasons to do it. One, because you think it might move your career forward, and it might. And secondly, because you just love stand-up and you want to be at one of the most exciting festivals in the world in the annual calendar. And while you're there, you just are in... You're at the stand-up AGM, and you mm-hmm. can have a bloody good time, you know, and watch amazing stand-up from all over the world. And that's a lovely, purist sort of intention, isn't it? But it's a shame it costs 10 grand to join in. <laughs> Which I can't justify sometimes. So, just to round off then, what do you want out of the next 10 years? Do you want to, are you enjoying the tour? Do you want to, do you want to go, this is what I do now, I tour? 
I don't know, that's a good question. I've never thought of myself as a touring comic. And now I'm doing one. I am enjoying it, but I do slightly miss the green room stuff. What sort of rooms are you doing on your tour? I'm doing sort of 70-seaters, 80-seaters. I did the Glee, okay. I've got Comedia in, that sort of size, the studio okay. rooms. Um, little art centres, things like that. Doing an hour? Doing an with hour support. with okay. support. Um, I don't have a really high turnover. I do find it a challenge. People like you that do an hour a year, I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Seem I'm to going do more that. lesbian stag dudes. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing I regret. I've never been one of those people that have seemed to have adventures or sort of unusual experiences. It feels quite sort of, um, you know, when you hear comedian. I don't go on lesbian lesbian stag dudes, or when you hear a comedian, someone like I don't know, off the top of my head, like Phil Nickel, that has yeah. these extraordinary. Yes, experiences. I, I think and it's I'm a like, much better example than that. Hell, than me. What are you doing? <laughs> like, do you go out looking for? You know, I do Some the school run, do. and you know, I don't have those kind of experiences, so I yeah. can't. Say so anyway, I took a acid trip and went to a. I don't have that kind of um, life. So, well, I, well, I think that's great because it, what you do excel at is observational comedy that people can relate to. Whereas, you know, I, I'm sort of permanently struggling with. Oh, this interesting thing happened that I want to tell people about. A lot of my stuff, I've got to work really hard to make sure that my jokes don't require two minutes of explanation before each of them. Like, yeah, you yeah. know when you okay maybe you don't what it is is there's this thing there's this but thing but that's lovely now because you explaining stuff. it is all part of the that's funny <laughs> yeah maybe that's what I mean it's <laughs> like just being honest about I remember Alan Cochran saying that early on it's like even you like you have to just your voice sometimes when you're just speaking explaining something out it's quite amusing because of the, the choice of words and the breaks and the emphasis and the inability to express yourself can sometimes yes. be amusing yes. you're just you could just find that way of being amusing, find the bit of you that is amusing and talk. I'm trying to do that very much at the moment. That's kind of like my new thing is trying to not, I mean, as well as the jokes that I'm writing for the show that I'm writing at the moment, I'm, I'm kind of working harder, I think, than I have before. Um, I'm like doing more hours writing. Yeah. What I'm trying to get into is get in the groove of, of just describing a thing or saying a sentence that isn't a joke, yeah. but they laugh and you go, oh, yeah. do you know what I mean? I've had a couple yeah, yeah. of those recently where I've gone, that was just me describing a thing. I didn't even... That was a setup. Yes. And you're laughing at that. Yes. Oh, this is a whole new thing. Well, we get hung up on phrases like setup, punchline, jokes, the word jokes. Yes. And then, who is it someone said that it, think of them as laughs? Yeah, that's and interesting. And if you think of yes. it as a laugh, you don't have to think of it as a conventional joke joke. Yes. Sometimes a laugh can come from a facial expression or a movement of your body or a pause or... Uh, you flipping a contradiction you can make a statement and go oh forget that scratch that and say something they're amused that you having that moment so they're laughs not jokes maybe um, but I've forgotten what we started the next 10 years oh yeah um, or the tour and whether you yeah touring's you know, lovely I'm enjoying it I, I think what my main objective was to, to maintain some dignity <laughs> because I think that's what I've heard so many people sort of go for that first tour and perform to like six people or ten people and then you're alone in a hotel room sort of thinking why am I here and all that and I think that's what I was scared of and that hasn't happened so far so far a nice amount of people have been coming that I can say right this is working it's not like okay I think we can book the O2 I think we definitely <laughs> you know it's not sort of stadiums and 2,000 seaters um, but that's what I was scared of so I could, I'd love to be able to tour more, but that does mean then writing more. That means sort of turning over a new hour every year or two. But 
my my youngest child is about to start school full time this year, and I will have more time, and maybe with that time I'll be able to do more writing. I mean, I have my career took off around the time I had my kids, so I have really fit my work around the children. Mm. So that's why I don't go to Edinburgh every year. I don't want to go on tour. I don't gig more than three or four nights a week. I tend not to go much outside London these days. It's things like that. So it's like, right, well now if I'm going to have more time, then yeah, I can maybe put some more energy into that. I'd love to do more of my own, like my radio show. I really enjoyed writing that. I wrote that with someone else, my writing partner called David, who I went to college with, drama school. Mm. So I've known him a long time and he and I write nicely together. And he... He and I have said that we'd really love to do more with that, with that radio show. What was the format of the radio show? It's called Kerry's List. It's about lists. So it's like me rattling through a to-do list. I love lists. I think lists are just funny. I love looking at comic set lists. Mm -hmm. Because it's just incongruous. It's Mm -hmm. completely mental. And things juxtaposed with each other in a random way. And I like bathos. I like sort of a high thing next to a stupid thing. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, um, Save the Panda next to Hoover. Mm-hmm. you know Hoover the Lounge and things like that so it's kind of taking that idea and it's peppered with bits of stand up bits of sketch and bits of sitcom really because Ben my real life husband plays my husband in it <laughs> no way yeah. and we okay. just and so you cut it between all of those things and I'd love to be able to take that I'd love to do that on telly I mean it's mm-hmm. very written for radio so it's very sort of audio but um, I'd love to be able to do that for telly to write that for telly because it, for me, it feels like the perfect combination of my skills. So it's like there's the acting in there and then there's the stand-up in there. Finally weaved together in the form of a TV programme, maybe. Because as you said, they've, they've always trucked along quite separately and been parallel careers. But I'd love to get them right nicely bedded together in a TV show. But I, you know, you've got to write it, haven't you? You've got to sit down and write and get on with it. So that was Kerry. I really enjoyed that interview. And as I said, I think it's a recipe for a happy life. Don't sweat the small stuff. Work hard. Keep it collaborative. Uh, It's interesting, actually, um, that we'd be talking about that now in in terms of a recipe for a happy life, because I read uh, over the weekend a terrific blog by Sophie Hagen, the Danish comic and recent winner of the Chortle Best Newcomer. Congratulations, Sophie, for that. Um, Have a look online for her list of 24 things that she learnt from being a comedian in Denmark. It's really a quite brutal list of things for new acts to either stop doing, never start doing, or shut up about. I really enjoyed it enormously. And it got me thinking of the burning passion that I had 10 years ago when I started doing comedy, doing stand-up, and which you certainly need to survive as a new act. And how differently I feel these days, when really my work rate is higher than ever. I'm working more than I ever did. I'm better than I've ever been. Um, and, uh, And yet I don't know that I have quite such an ardent, kind of all-consuming passion for stand-up. Obviously, it it sort of pervades my every waking moment. Maybe it's just that I don't notice anymore that my whole life's geared around it. But it's a really interesting dynamic, I thought, between the urge to push yourself as hard as you can at the expense of everything else in your life and the growing realisation that that kind of energy may have a shelf life and that there are plenty of people in the world who drive so hard at their career that it consumes them and they end up successful and lonely. Anyway, that's uh, me noodling off in the distance, but give it a read. Uh, uh, Sophie Hagen is her name, H-A-G-E-N, and uh, someone, or possibly Sophie herself, will email me if I'm mispronouncing that. Many apologies if I am. 
Um, and it's 24 things she learned from being a comic in Denmark. Um, I will put the link on the Facebook group. And if you're a Facebook group uh, member, I'm terribly sorry about this weird little app called Daniel Silver that pretended to be a human but turned out to be a spam bot. Um, hopefully that's all sorted now. So I'll put that on the Facebook page. That's everything. That's all till next week. Um, do remember to go to uh, audible.co.uk slash, nearly said backslash, stopped myself at the last minute, audible.co.uk slash cc for Comedians Comedian, where you can download any one of a number of brilliant audio books and you can get them absolutely free if you subscribe. Take out a month subscription, which you can cancel any time. Uh, but if you fancy subscribing to it, do it through audible.co.uk slash cc and uh, that means that you support the show. I get a couple of quid every time someone signs up through the, uh, the slash cc address. So uh, feel free to do that if you fancy Donations at uh, at the website. You can email me info at comedianscomedian.com and, of course, tweet me at comcompod. Remember, hashtag all show, no business. Tell me what you were going to call your show but couldn't bring yourself to do so. Thank you to Kerry for coming on the show. Thanks to BLC for the podmin, as ever. And this episode was once again co-produced by Nathan Wood. I've been Stuart Goldsmith. I'll speak to you soon. <laughs>